Hello TBE Network and welcome to the TBE Podcast, where we share thought-provoking stories, strategies and ideas, as well as engage with insightful leaders from a wide range of fields and businesses across Africa. If the topics of entrepreneurship, business, startups, property, marketing or finance interest you, then you have tuned into the right place. Uh, welcome back, guys, to episode six of our TBE podcast. Today, we have longtime tenants of TBE, Kuji Consulting, and owner and founder of Kuji, Cindy M. Cindy, welcome to the TBE podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Of course, and uh, let's get straight into it. Um, yeah. Cindy, why don't you tell us a bit more? I know that you're in the ICT industry, uh-huh. and... Um, you started Kuji in 2009, is that correct? That's correct, yes. So, I'd love you to, just to tell us a bit more about Kuji. Are you sure? Ah, pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here. Okay, um, Okay. so I've, I can talk all day, but just to give you a bit of a overview, we've been in business from 2009. Uh, we operate in the ICT industry, and we have, yeah, we, based on our relationship with the TBE, we have offices in Mauritius. Oh, amazing. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> um, and we supply the mining industry. Um, we supply government and public sec- and private sector. And yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know what else you want to know. We've had a long-standing relationship with our suppliers. In actual fact, I've worked for my suppliers. I've worked for okay. Comstech and I worked for Axes and they are our So how long have you been in like the ICT industry, not just as Kuji, but as Cindy? As Cindy, yes. I think that's, that's, where, that's where I was headed. Yeah. Um, I worked with um, Axes. I, okay. I was an employee there. I worked with um, Comstech, which is Comstore now. Okay. Um, I was top salesperson as oh, well. Amazing. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am on the Achievers Board. And I always say this because um, I think that's where my love for IT was ignited. I, I got exposed to technology. Mm. Um, we had to learn how to build computers from scratch. When was this? Uh, this what was, year? in actual fact, I registered my business in 2009. And that was the year that I left Comstech. So I registered my business while working for Comstech. And I remember I used to leave during lunchtime um, for, for business meetings, um, even as, a, as, a, as an employee. So, you know, before I fully ventured into business, um, mm. I, I started my entrepreneurial endeavors uh, within my employment uh, capacity. So, yeah, that's, that's really where the love for, for technology started. And um, I think further to that, I, I got exposed to um, various industries through the next company that I worked for, which was Matrix Marketing. Um, and, and what the company does, I was a consultant and I used to assist companies in their growth strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that exposes you to understanding how various industries operate. For instance, you know, the packaging industry, um, the mining industry. I had clients in various industries. And I think that exposure of, of playing that sales uh, consulting arm because mm. we literally assisted companies in identifying markets. Um, markets, various market segments. Um, we assisted their sales team to sell into those markets as a consultant. And I think coupled with the IT experience that I um, acquired at, at Matrix and at, at Comstech and, and with the consulting experience on the sales side, it was a, an, an awesome combination mm. to, to really just start the business. 
Amazing. Yeah. And so maybe you can tell us, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you work uh, in, with government, you yeah. work in the private sector and corporate, Correct, all of that. Yes. What is in your basket uh, as an ICT uh, consulting company that you that you offer these these companies or these these different sectors. Okay, so in our basket, I'd say the firstly would be the networking, which is our core focus okay. within the business. Um, we supply Ruckus technology um, and some of Cisco. If anyone from Cisco is listening, <laughs> <laughs> um, so so we specialize in networking. Okay. Um, so it would be an end to end solution and post sales as well. Um, we do corporates, um, Wi-Fi um, installations and maintenance, and we also do a stadium Wi-Fi. Awesome. Um, that's our core business. And then over and above that, we partners with Bosch. Bosch Technologies um, didn't appoint us. We had to apply to become distributors of their conveyor belt um, management technology. What this technology does really is manage, um, they manage the temperature on conveyor belts that operate on mines. Oh, and wow. it's able to uh, preempt any maintenance uh, challenges prior to having a plant uh, at a standstill. Right. So um, this is a Bosch technology developed um, by Bosch. And uh, yeah, so we have that relationship. And in actual fact, the last I checked, we were one of two companies in South Africa that has the rights to uh, resell the product into the Amazing. market. Um, so yeah, that's that's quite a new, exciting um, industry that we're operating in within Very the mining cool. industry. And um, so yeah, it, and we've got procurement management technology okay. um, that we partnered with. Um, it's also it's actually a Cape Town based company, but also does quite a lot of work in the UAE. And we now are distributors of, of their technology as well. So we, it's the Wi-Fi, it's the mining technology, and the procurement management automated systems. Amazing. Correct. So I always think about like, um, you know, my grandparents with their phone, you know, <laughs> how they, um, there's, they, there's such a... Um, there's like not much willingness to pick up new ideas or new technology. And uh -huh. I wonder if you can uh, chat to us a bit about like your, your market's willingness, maybe from the unique perspective that you have yeah. um, pre COVID and post COVID, what is the, the willingness to adopt new technologies uh, being from your perspective? Okay. So honestly, if it, any at all, oh, of course, <laughs> being, in the, <laughs> being in the, in the industry, I think what has always been very um, vivid was, was the fact that, you know, suppliers, particularly in the public sector. Okay. And if there is anyone from the public sector, please forgive me, <laughs> but the public sector is really very stagnant mm. in adopting new technology. Um, both infrastructure-wise and operationally in terms of the people that have to use it. Mm. Um, so infrastructure-wise, you find there's a lot of legacy systems yeah. uh, that, that are still in place that do not necessarily correspond with um, the new and the latest yeah. digitized technologies, um, particularly your nanotechnologies and so forth. And um, you find the employees within, within government as well, they are very reluctant in adopting new ways of doing things. Well, they're comfortable with how things work. Correct. And I, I suppose adopting new anything new can, can be scary and it was yeah. and at the time i mean we had the most this is prior to the fourth industrial revolution being mm. um you know very highly topical in in the country yeah. at the time it was still you know what is this uh, um new technology you're trying to implement you're trying to change my job um you know i'm happy with how i'm doing my work and, and I'm, I'm productive in it um you know even at 
director level, and, and this is really from experience, mm. you find directors see the value, you know, head of ICTs or group ICT directors see the value, but they themselves know that if I have to bring this change into this business, I might just lose buy-in from the staff, right. you know, and, and therefore be success, unsuccessful in, in my job. Right. You know, so, but, but what we found is that Post-COVID, so the, the impact that COVID had with that particular mindset uh, was a complete contrast. Mm. You know, it changed for the better because now everyone was actually forced to start using technology yeah. because, you know, the paper-dependent processes uh, were no more uh, the order of the day. Well, I they think it's almost you, you, that no one had a choice with some things, obviously. I mean, we didn't have a choice but yeah. to work from home. So there might have been like a subconscious openness that happened because there were so few choices that you were able to make it just was something that had to happen and maybe that has now led to like you're saying you know the willingness to yeah. adopt new ideas and 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 actually it sometimes maybe it takes something that big to change um to to challenge an existing system you know yes. and go this, there, there could be a better way to do this. We just haven't done it because we're comfortable doing it the way we are. You know? Absolutely. And, and y as well with the age. Mm. You know, we've got the millennials mm. that are easy <laughs> to adopt technology, more willing in, yeah. in, in essence. And, and you find in government, you know, if you have to fire someone yeah. who's been there for, and, and please pardon the language, <laughs> if you have to release <laughs> someone off their job, it's a very difficult process. The labor mm. law uh, prohibits that. So... Public sector is is almost in a position where they've got all these much older generation of of people mm. um, that are not willing to change because, as well, the capacity to learn new things is limited. So it's it, yeah. you know balancing those dynamics um, is, is very difficult. However, like I said, COVID for the ICT industry it has really helped um, open doors um, for for yeah. new. Um, technologies to be implemented in organizations. Um, you know, for a moment, an, an ERP system was not necessary because right. everyone had paper and they were all in the office and they could sign and pass on to the next person. Now everyone is working remotely. There has to be a system where an, an email is not uh, uh, viable because there's mm. so many documentation that needs to be uploaded. Therefore, an automated ERP technology has to we be We see the rise of all these like production or productivity suites that promise to like make your team more collaborative and productive yes. and and i just want to go back to you were talking about like maybe an older generation yeah. in the public sector yeah i wonder if you've had any experience or any um yeah maybe maybe just experience of of people being fearful that technology could replace them i wonder because you know everyone thinks about ai and one yes. day and I, I mean you see it in plenty industries already where technology is doing jobs that people yeah. used to do and yeah. i wonder if that's ever anything you've experienced or seen yeah and this is now in the private sector is now it? particularly with our mining technology mm. um typically there's a process um, that needs to be followed in maintaining how the belt operates mm. um the you know the specific people that go and actually check the temperature sensors on the belts now our technology is replacing that process mm. so our business at the moment is sitting in between a manager deciding on adopting the technology and having to reallocate resources um, and reallocation could mean some people may not be relevant mm. anymore if the technology is deployed um, and the human aspect of it has to 
come in. You know, I, yes. I, I, have, I have managers and engineer managers that say, how do I let go of these people? Because mm. I love this technology. It's brilliant. I need it. But I first need to make sure that I can reallocate the resources and, and sure. keep the resources. So it's a huge... That's a, quite a great outlook to have, though. I mean, it's, it's nice to hear that they aren't going, oh, we can just save money and get yeah, rid of them. I mean, yeah. if they're just looking to reallocate, that's brilliant. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and this is actually with, with the Africa Rainbow Minerals. Um, I found even with the various uh, mines that, that I had engaged with um, and, and where my team engaged with, we, we have the similar type of compassion and, mm. and caring for their people. You know, so I, I certainly think we we are in a good position as a country. Mm. Um, you know, we have business people that are not complete capitalists that also, com, you know, concur with the whole idea of increasing employment and keeping people employed right. whilst considering technology. Mm. So luckily, the deals are not off the table based on the resources. We yeah. just, there has to just be a better, more appealing business case um, that does not only leverage on on resources. So mm. yeah, but but certainly to answer your question, there is a huge dynamic on replacement of resources. In actual fact, there's a direct relationship between new technology and having replacing um, yeah. human capital. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us? Yes. What the Mervyn King Four report is, and then um, how important that report is for small businesses. Yeah. So. Very good question. Um, and I hear this a lot, by the way. Very good question. But it is, in essence, this is a very good question. The Mervyn King Report, and maybe I should take it a step back. I, I did my Master's um, of Business Administration okay. uh, with a Regenesis Business School. And, and luckily, I got to meet Mr. King himself okay. uh, because he sat on the board at, at Regenesis uh, Business School. He was the yeah, board member. Um, and I've sat through a lot of his um, direct engagements and presentations mm. over and above the books that he releases on, on governance. So the, the, the Mervyn King report really talks about governance and how uh, managers and, and board members need to manage the organization, the decisions that they need to take, the plans, the strategies that they need to take, and how to... The, the process that they need to follow in managing. Mm. So if you are a, a, a chairperson of an organization, what steps do you need to take to manage and what principles do you need to apply in managing that particular organization? Right. And it gives directive to the chairperson, to the CEOs, right down through to management. However, what he has done with King 4 is that he's incorporated, he, in actual fact, I think, he had 75 principles in King 3. Yeah. And he's cut it down to 11. Sure. And, and please quote me if I'm wrong, but literally less than uh, 20 okay. principles. So really distilled it down to he, the core to principles. To the core principles. And, and what he's done there is he's enabled a small business to start implementing governance. Because governance in the past has always been about big businesses, you mm. know, uh, listed companies. Um, and, and he's changed, particularly because the economy, I mean, if you look at the Australian economy, it's highly dependent on SMEs. Mm. You know, if you look at the dynamics and the GDP uh, generation of, of, the, of the country, it's, it's uh, uh, dependent on small businesses that operate successfully. Right. So small businesses are no longer the by the way. 
you know, small mm. businesses are now a critical part of a successful economy. Um, and, Absolutely. And yeah. on that basis, he's he's now changed his uh, perspective on, on how, why is it not so important for small businesses? Why do these principles only apply to listed companies? Right. And he's now brought it down to make sense for that small business as well, to okay. adopt in their small business, because governance, by all means, is relevant yeah. um, for both small and, and medium enterprises. He also adds and talks about um, the nonprofit organizations to say the, the, the King Force now speaks to, to nonprofit okay. organizations as well. So I think it is critically important for small businesses to actually start implementing these principles. Don't don't leave it for when you get listed. Mm. Um, implement these principles, grow with these principles. Um, you know, in your growth where you're doing, when you're employing, employ based on these principles, identify talent that can feed into the principles of, of governance um, that are mentioned in the King in the King Four. Awesome, Cindy. Thank you so much for that. That's, I think people will actually find that really helpful. Yeah. And um, I want to just go into um, you as a woman. Mm -hmm. I imagine the ICT industry is probably quite masculine. Um, <laughs> and tell you know, me about it. Maybe you can just talk to that a bit and tell us some challenges you faced. Um, anything that you think people uh, should know about the industry and being a woman in the ICT industry. Correct. Um, I'll tell you this. I think you know, being a woman in the in the ICT industry has um has a has the pros and the cons mm. uh, towards it because you have. Business owners that are pro-women mm. that would give you the same respect mm. um, as they would um, a, a male-led organization. Now, and then you've got other, you know, there's different cultures. I'll take it a step back. There's different cultures, right, mm. um, in, in, in South Africa, you know, um, particularly in the native uh, community where right. the Zulus um, always thought women, well, the culture teaches you that a woman needs to obey the man and there's a uh, the woman must cook and the man don't cook and the right. woman must clean that whole cliche of culture that is highly embedded in whether you're an educated man and you ended up in harvard in harvard or yeah. or you ended up in um, i don't know university Oxford university or whatever, or whatever yeah. yeah wherever you might have you may have migrated to and ended up in a corporate you are still a Zulu man, or you're still a Kosa man. You're still yeah. brought up and under this culture. Are very instilled, correct. Yeah. Um, and and what we then face um, as women is to deal with that dynamic mm. of the culture influence regarding women um, and the reluctance of exception within mm. the ICT industry, particularly because the ICT industry historically has always been a male-dominated mm. industry. And, and now venturing in as a woman and, and owning um, and managing being an a ICT, CEO. being the CEO, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> don't don't you know, hide. Uh, no, of course not. It is. <laughs> of course. You know, so you, you certainly have to deal with those dynamics. You have to slightly work harder. Mm than the male managed organization. Right. Um, you have to prove yourself. You know, you, you are literally at the tip of, you cannot make a mistake with any deliverable. You cannot miss anything Help in your project. Absolutely, mm. your standards have to be much higher than what is expected of a male 
managed organization because initially when you walk into that meeting, you have a CEO or you have a group ICT director that is male. In actual fact, um, and I don't have the stats, but there are more men that um, that occupy these uh, positions, these group ICT positions, um, either private or public sector. Mm. Um, So, you know, you you definitely have those dynamics to deal with. However, what we have found is that... um, the industry itself is changing. Mm. There's slightly more women that are participating in the ICT industry. And um, and there's also more men that are almost accepting their reality. Right. You know, we're not there yet, but there's certainly a way forward. You sure. know, there's a it's a success story towards a, a point where ICT is not going to be um, a male-dominated, considered um, industry. Mm. Um I think construction is probably slightly backward than the ICT industry. We're slightly ahead of the the construction industry. I think it's highly still very dominated by males. Mm. Um, but all in all, I think there's there's acceptance. You know, uh, men are slowly accepting that we are here and we are here to stay. Um, and I and I remember offline you mentioned that challenges can only make of a better person. Sure. And, and you know, the challenges that we face as women in the industry only propel the success of our organizations. Yeah. Um, so hopefully... Not ten- to ignore entirely that those unfair practices shouldn't yeah. exist. But yeah. I, I mean, I was just thinking as you were speaking, like over the last, let's say, hour and a half that yeah. we got into, yeah. like hangouts and chat about this stuff. If you're at the spearheading this movement i have no doubt that men will have no other choice but to accept it and um but cindy i am flattered (laughs) keep talking i um thank you so much for being on episode six maybe just to wrap up you can let us know where people can reach you um any information you would like to offer at the end here yeah, sure. So we are hiring. Awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know when this podcast would be out, but the process, the recruitment process for 2021 um, has come to an end. We should be having more employees, but from 2022, we're going to be releasing more uh, positions. Um, there would be sales um, and tech okay. uh, positions, and we're going to have highly specialized technical uh, managers as well. So awesome. yeah, people can look out for the for those on Pnet. Um, Pnet exclusively as well. Yeah, you'll kind we. Of be yeah, but also so. we'll post on our um, LinkedIn right. page. Uh, we've got the Kuji Consulting LinkedIn page, and also on our website www.kujiconsulting.co.za. Awesome. Well, yeah. as I said, Cindy, such a pleasure having you Thank on episode you. six. I know we've got a lot more to talk about. Certainly. So I'm pretty sure you'll, uh, you know, we'll be able to catch up in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, A.